What does it mean to inwardly digest God's Word? Find out in Pastor Will Whedon's column in the latest Issues Etc. journal. We'll send it to you for free. Just click the red journal subscription button in the right-hand column at issuesetc.org. In the Wittenberg Trail feature, Dr. John Warwick Montgomery tells his story of finding confessional Lutheranism to be the most scripturally faithful theology. The free online Issues Etc. journal, issuesetc.org. An institute you can't disparage. Ask the local Think about it this way. The institution of marriage held fast across cultures, across languages, nationalities, through wars, through times of peace. It crossed oceans and found itself in new lands. And then all of a sudden, and really, truly, all of a sudden, in the mid-20th century... It all changes. How does such an enduring institution in the matter of decades, less than a hundred years, go from a man and a woman committed for life to whatever you want it to be? Welcome back to Issues Etc. Joining us to talk about the demise of the Augustinian Christian marriage system, Dr. Alan Carlson. He's senior fellow at the International Organization for the Family, author of numerous books, including his latest Family Cycles, Strength, Decline, and Renewal in American Domestic Life, and a recent column for Touchstone Magazine titled, What Good is Marriage? Dr. Carlson, welcome back. Good to be with you. What recent Pew Research Center statistics did you find somewhat distressing? This was a study they did of asking 2,000 active parents, these are people with children, looking forward to the future, what they thought was most important for their children. And what distressed me was that 88% said that it was extremely or very important that their children be financially independent. And also 88% say that it's extremely important that they have careers that they enjoyed. In contrast, a mere 21% said it was extremely or very important that their grown children marry. And only 20% said that it was extremely or very important that their children have children, that is, that they produce grandchildren. I found that distressing because in a sense it marked sort of the demise of the child-centered procreative family, a breaking of the generations here, when even grandparents or potential grandparents really don't think having grandchildren is all that important and certainly don't want to push their children or even encourage them to have them. That I found distressing. You say that these findings are a repudiation of St. Augustine. How so? Well, Augustine writing at the end of the 4th century did a wonderful little book called The Goods of Marriage. He was facing a dual problem. On the one hand, the Manichaean heresy, Christian heresy, was spreading. And the Manichaeans basically were so focused on spirit that they said the body didn't matter. And certainly procreation didn't matter. They denied sexuality, and they denied the need for children, didn't want them. On the other hand, you had the Romans, the Roman culture surrounding the Christians, where easy divorce, adultery, concubine age, prostitution, homosexuality were all common. So Augustine crafted, on the basis of earlier Christian church fathers, a vision of what Christian marriage was about. And he said it was about three things. Procreation, that is having children. Fidelity, being faithful to your spouse, to your husband or your wife. And permanence, that marriage was for life. And he gave us, you know, gave us special emphasis that the 
purpose of marriage was the spiritual and physical communion of the husband and the wife and the production and rearing of children. That's what it was about. So we see here, I think, in uh, the Pew Research study, uh, in forgetting that, or in some ways even repudiating that very message. How did Augustine influence Christian thinking and law regarding marriage? Well, his focus on the one flesh marital union with children as the usual consequence, and the union of purpose, marriage, and spirit, and identity in a marriage, that is, the married couple became, in some ways, a distinct entity, larger than the sum of its parts. That entered Christian law, beginning with Justinian, the uh, Byzantine emperor in the, in the 6th, 7th century, in his Code of Justinian, which adopted those principles. It expanded under the influence of a Christian writer, canonist called Gratian in the 1140s, who forcefully entered that concept in and especially condemned those who used what he called the poisons of sterility, or what we would call birth control today, to prevent children within marriage. Thomas Aquinas, the great Christian writer in in the 1200s, systematized that and again reinvigorated the place of Christian family ethic and the marriage ethic in, in law, what we would call public policy today. And so did Martin Luther. Luther rejected the concept of marriage as a sacrament along the lines of the Lord's Supper. But instead, he said marriage was the most important thing anyone could do on earth. It was the highest calling on earth. It was the uh, purpose for which we were intended, so much so that even popes and priests and bishops should get married and have children, which was one of his breaks with the Roman Church. So this is how it entered into the law. Originally, of course, in Europe, where the church was centered at that time. How did this kind of essential Augustinian tradition enter American law? Part of it came through English common law, where, again, Christianity, uh, now under the Anglican Church, primarily focused heavily, again, on the Augustinian goods, the three goods of marriage. Most directly, the name Chancellor James Kent a prominent lawyer and judge in the early 19th century, wrote his commentaries on American law, where he strongly reinforced the whole Augustinian concept of marriage as creating a distinct entity, the married couple, with legal claims of its own, and with a heavy emphasis on the place of children and the place of children within the marital setting as the purpose of marriage. How long did that particular legal understanding of marriage last in American law? It lasted really until the middle decades of the 20th century, that is, till the 1950s. And we started to see a dismantling, a slow dismantling at first, of the concept of the marital couple as a distinct union, again, with claims of its own. Is something unique and special, stronger than any contract, as the language had it, but something very vital to the whole purpose and existence of the nation. That began to disintegrate, but the key blow came in 1972 in a case called Eisenstadt versus Baird, which directly, directly repudiated the concept of the married couple as something greater than just two individuals. Thereafter, marriage in America was interpreted by the federal courts and then the state courts. It was just two people, two individuals, each with separate makeups and goals and traditions, who wound up 
taking a pledge, you know, going through a ceremony and, and, and coming together, but they remained individuals. The married couple had no purpose, had no identity, had certainly had no legal claims. Also, children became just a coincidence in marriage. Marriage ceased to have any necessary connection to procreation and the rearing of children. That was the end of the Augustinian dispensation of the United States. It was reinforced by actions such as no-fault divorce, which made marriage easy in, easy out. Again, denying the Augustinian principle of permanence. So again, the Augustinian dispensation, which was alive and well in some ways, although shaking a little bit in early 1972, thereafter was pretty well tossed out of American law. Dr. Alan Carlson is Senior Fellow at the International Organization for the Family. We're talking about the demise of the Augustinian model of marriage. What flowed from the Supreme Court's rulings regarding contraception that affected marriage legally in America? What does it mean to inwardly digest God's Word? Find out in Pastor Will Whedon's column in the latest Issues Etc. journal. We'll send it to you for free. Just click the red journal subscription button in the right-hand column at issuesetc.org. In the Wittenberg Trail feature, Dr. John Warwick Montgomery tells his story of finding confessional Lutheranism to be the most scripturally faithful theology. The free online Issues Etc. journal, issuesetc.org. For nearly 140 years, the Lutheran witness has taught the faith, defended it against error, and shown forth the great treasures of the Lutheran Church and biblical doctrine. We're continuing this legacy by publishing issues and articles that help you see the world from a Lutheran perspective and that teach biblical doctrine and show forth the treasures of God's Word. Visit our website to learn more and how to subscribe, witness.lcms.org. The Lutheran Witness, helping you interpret the world from a Lutheran perspective. Holy Cross Evangelical Lutheran Church, Albany, Oregon, is a mid-Willamette Valley LCMS congregation where the liturgy lives and God's people worship as one with sound biblical doctrine, weekly communion, and a clear confession of Christ crucified for the sin of the world. Please join us at 2515 Queen Avenue Southeast or visit our website at www.HolyCrossLutheranAlbany.org. You're personally invited to join Lutherans for Life and Why for Life in celebrating the theme, Just As I Am, January 14th through the 20th during Life Week 2024. Each theme day will explore a distinct aspect of life ministry through local activities, online educational events, interviews, and more. Find out more at lutheransforlife.org. Lutherans for Life, equipping Lutherans and their neighbors to be gospel-motivated voices for life. lutheransforlife.org. Contending for truth in an age of anti-truth. You're listening to Issues Etc. Our school is committed to authentic Lutheranism, the entire Book of Concord, and indeed to authentic Lutheranism as it has continued to be confessed and practiced through the centuries, right up into our own time. Dr. Cameron McKenzie, chairman of the Department of Historical Theology at Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. We're committed then to biblical, confessional Christianity and Lutheranism and applying it to the world of today in as effective a way as we can. 
You can find out more about studying for the pastoral ministry at Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana, at ctsfw.edu, ctsfw.edu, or call 1-800-481-2155. Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. We're talking about the demise of the Augustinian model of marriage with Dr. Alan Carlson of the International Organization for the Family. Dr. Carlson, what flowed from the Supreme Court's rulings regarding contraception? Well, the contraception was the issue in the Eisenstadt case that I mentioned. Earlier in 1965, the Supreme Court had ruled that a law in Connecticut, which made it basically illegal to use contraception within marriage, was unconstitutional. And that At that point, the court sort of cleverly said, well, it's the sacred precincts of the marriage bed. We have to protect that, and so the state should not intrude. In the 72 decision in Eisenstadt, it extended the same right of contraception to the unmarried and said you have an absolute right to use contraceptives and birth control. And that's where this key sentence came in, denying the married couple as having any special claims in law. And so it it is ironic, but perhaps inevitable, given the emphasis that Augustine had placed on procreation, that when that was removed, the whole edifice of legal marriage as a Christian institution also vanished. Did that lead inevitably to the redefinition of marriage in American law? Oh, I think so. Once you remove children and procreation out of the picture, yeah, Why, why can't two homosexuals get married. Why not? Children are no longer relevant to the marital bond, no longer the purpose behind the marital bond. At least I could certainly see the argument being made at that point. But also led to the um, rejection of the concept, we said the concept of, of legitimate and illegitimate birth. The legitimate birth was a birth within marriage. And that made sense because there was a permanence attached to that and again, the child would grow up with its two natural parents, or at least would ideally do so. And there were strong legal incentives and protections to make sure that happened, or at least to the best was possible. But once that was thrown out, and once illegitimate births, births outside of wedlock, were treated equally and seen just as fine as ones within marriage, again, why have marriage? Why keep it restricted just to, uh, to heterosexual people? Doesn't matter anymore. That's the logic that followed from the, I guess you'd say, the tossing away of the Augustinian threefold purpose or good of marriage. How do you respond to those who say that the downgrading of marriage was law following cultural attitudes? I disagree, fundamentally. The changes that were implemented by the federal and state courts in the 60s and 70s mostly followed from uh, prior papers and arguments put together by groups like the American Law Institute, who set out in the 40s, quite clearly, you can trace the documents, to deinstitutionalize marriage in America, to de-Christianize it. And they said it. In, they were defending individual rights and the individual freedoms. And they had a strong influence on the law schools. They had a strong influence, particularly, I think, in the Ivy League law schools, where most of the Supreme Court judges and federal judges came from. In this case, I think it's 
to be quite clear that this was a a way of uh, imposing a new view, a secular anti-Christian view on American law. And it turned the law is always not just a, an expression of, of what you see as good behavior. It's also a teaching tool. And the teaching tool of the law now said marriage of the old Christian type is no longer important. Procreation within marriage is no longer important or necessary. And that teaching tool, I think, has, in fact, done a huge bit of damage to new generations of young people who have been taught that Augustinian marriage, Christian marriage, no longer matters. Is there a way back to the Augustinian norm? If there is, I believe there can be, but it has to come from the bottom up. In some ways, we're back where the Christians were back in the first and second and third centuries within a Roman culture that, again, was sexually disorganized, where marriage was weak and a mess. It's starting from the bottom up, just as the early Christians did. And it means recovering the goods of marriage. It means pastors, in counseling young people who want to get married, make sure they understand what they're entering. This is Recently, I think many American pastors have simply become agents of the state. They sign the marriage certificate, they go through a ceremony, but the state's understanding, the government's understanding of marriage as a post-Christian institution is, is not challenged or not even mentioned, not even discussed. Pastors have to go back to the Augustinian goods and make sure the couples they marry understand that, that what they're entering into is not just a sort of a temporary union of two individuals, but the creation of what God intended of the married couple as a one flesh, physical and emotional and purpose filled and identity and follow through on that. If that happens, and it is happening, I think, among a number of what might be called marginal religious groups, what the other side calls sex, I think it's happening. And I think that's where the hope for the future lies. You note the fertility rate among, as you said, the sex, as they're referred to. Does that mean that this non-Augustinian view of marriage, just by virtue of future population demographics, may be on its way up? I could, and I think it would, provided that, again, children are protected from, uh, this gets into a whole other program, and a whole other issue, are, are protected from... Uh, forms of education which would corrupt and deny the Christian message. Uh, that's why parish schools, home schools are also a necessary component to rebuilding a Christian marriage, family-centered society. Dr. Alan Carlson is Senior Fellow at the International Organization for the Family. He's author of numerous books, including his latest, Family Cycles, Strength, Decline, and Renewal in American Domestic Life, and a recent column for Touchstone Magazine titled, What Good is Marriage? You can read it at our website, issuesetc.org. Click Talk On Demand Archives. Dr. Carlson, thank you. Pleasure to be with you. Faith Lutheran School in Plano, Texas, provides a classical Lutheran education for preschool through 12th grade. They also offer live, online, interactive classes for high school students worldwide. Learn more during an on-campus information session on Wednesday, January the 31st, or at flsplano.org, Faith Lutheran School, Plano, Texas, flsplano.org.
In hour two of Issues Etc., we'll be looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the one-year lectionary, the baptism of our Lord, this time Matthew's account of the baptism that introduces the Trinity just as Matthew's gospel closes with the Trinity. And how is it that Jesus' baptism is not only acknowledgement of who he is as the Messiah, but also his royal anointing? Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc., is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio.